In the beginning of 2020, a global pandemic locked billions of people at home. And one of a sudden, people lost the ability to go to the mall and share the shopping experience with their family and friends. Sean, the co-founder of Metaverse, saw an opportunity to create a cloud-rendered Metaverse where with one click, without any download, people can go into a virtual mall and shop with their friends in real time. In this episode, we discussed how Sean started Metaverse, their pivot into Web3, Sean's take on the future of the Metaverse, and how they can influence all of us in our daily life. Welcome to the Ideas Can't Wait podcast, and um, welcome, Sean. Um, yeah, why don't you just give a short introduction of yourself, where you grew up, and, you know, just who you are. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm the co-founder of Metaverse. Um, I'm actually also working with Frank um, on an entrepreneurship DAO in Canada. So I'm pretty sure Frank will share a little bit more on that in the future. Um, so about Metaverse, uh, I've been working on Metaverse for close to two years. We build cloud-rendered Metaverse infrastructure. Essentially, what it means is we allow anyone to create a photorealistic, AAA-level quality Metaverse within 30 minutes with just drag and drop on our own editor and make it accessible to anyone on any devices through cloud rendering. It doesn't matter what devices you have, mobile phone, PC, tablet, or even VR goggles. You can just click on link without any download and then enter the Metaverse. That's what we do here, Metaverse. And prior to that, um, I went to Ivy. Yeah, didn't go to U of G, otherwise we could have met a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, I started a couple <laughs> other, I guess, startup project before. Um, also raised money. Last one I worked on was an education technology startup. Uh, we had around 3,000 um, students using our tool uh, weekly, but uh, eventually that project didn't get to commercialize and we got to the end of runway. But I learned a lot. Yeah, so that's pretty much about me. Right now I'm in China. Yeah, I just came back from Vancouver. Oh, nice, nice. Um, yeah, I heard it's uh, the quarantine schedule is it's crazy in China. Uh, but yes, th- thanks for your introduction. Um, I, I actually want to go back to um, your previous startup experiences. Um, you're only 23 right now, um, and and you you mentioned that you already have a startup before. So I wondered how old were you when you started your first one, and what made you start make the decision to go for the entrepreneurship route. Well, to be honest, um, even though I've been quite active in the space and been working on a couple of different projects, uh, I don't consider any of my prior experiences to be like actual setup. I feel like still a lot of stuff I need to learn. Um, but yeah, I started my first project. Um, it was actually when I was doing summer camps in China. When was when was that? Like when I was sixteen? Yeah. So I was hosting. Uh, I knew actually. Yeah, we hosted two camps um each year when I was 16 uh instead of just as a hobby you know just having fun with some friends we're trying to do our own version of business competition in china we even built a small simulation game it's kind of like you know you play those strategy games where you can decide pricing uh product production schedule and i actually worked on that for five years um until after th- I came to Canada for three years. Yeah, I would still go back to China each summer, host a summer camp. Um, I was very lucky. The first project actually got a pretty good, um, I guess, business model. 
We had a lot of people supporting us. Uh, we had stable cash flow. It gave me a lot of confidence to start my second one. That was Avocado Core. It was um, doing my undergrad at Western. We were doing adaptive learning. Uh, so essentially it's one subset of machine learning. We use machine learning to help each student to generate their own personalized assignment. We work with a lot of faculties at Western. You can tell how much students hated us back then. Yeah, because they, they could no longer cheat uh, with, with answers from Facebook. And worked on that for like two years. Realized um, education wasn't a great place to start, especially if you work, if you want to work with uh, universities in North America. It's actually a little bit more bureaucratic uh, than working with government. And it came to be quite challenging, and we focused too much on the product side. That taught me, okay, maybe you should focus a little bit more on commercialization. And that's what got me to start my, I guess, third one, and that's Metaverse. Okay, I I guess the biggest learning for you for Avocado Core is that you guys, you know, you guys have a group of um, developers and people that's building, but you, you didn't really focus too much on the um, commercialization. Um, if you don't mind, can you tell me like a like a fun story or memorable story about Avocado Core where you like really learn a lot? Yeah, um, I guess I can share a couple things and tell you why sure. uh, you need to prepare yourself before uh, getting into enterprise sales, especially if you want to deal okay. with governments or universities. Yeah, so um, when we're working at Western, so we, okay, so we had a couple of different phases. You know, if you are doing B2B sales, you typically need initiator, you know, who is on the inside and can help you to push the deal through. Uh, we were working with a professor for like a semester. We help him to, designed the curriculum, um, you know, uh, with our knowledge graph. We helped him to, you know, like to get all the quizzes done, all the assignments done. And we thought we were going to get deal, but we didn't expect what's going to come after that. Even after we submit the proposal and they were happy to work with us, uh, they had a compliance program, you know, for the way that you protect your data, the way you collect data, stuff like that. It took us half a year to finish the compliance program. Half a year. Most startups don't even have a kind of runway, you know, half a year for a compliance yeah. program and as pre-sales. And after that, after we finished that compliance program, it's like, okay, hey, even though you have done a proof of concept, we have been actually been using your, like, you know, using your tool for like um, a semester, we still can't do any sales because we need to wait for the budget to be reset next year. How about this? I'll give you some research grant. It's also our way of paying you. And, you know, we can use the software. And we thought, yeah, I mean, money is money, right? Whether it's what we call revenue, or grants, or ticket. Um, we took the grant, um, but what happened after that was, it, that professor we're working with, you know, just left. Um, he got retired or something, or transferred. And then we lost our initiator on the inside. And it, it came to be quite challenging. Yeah, so I guess that's fun experience that we had. Okay, and did you guys try to bring that software to other school at the time? I guess there's a lot yeah. of internal compliance you need to do in your own school, but I guess the software is transferable, right? Did you guys try that? It's actually even harder to sell at other schools, um, but we definitely tried. Yeah, so we worked with a couple of different schools. Um, but so if you want to work with other schools, uh, I mean, the same process applies. And Sometimes it can be even more interesting because a lot of schools, 
actually have exclusive contract that bans them from working with any other edutech、uh, providers. Yeah,、um, we also try to work directly with students. And what we thought was, hey, this is going to help you to prepare for exam.、Uh, why don't you, you know,、um, why don't you pay for us instead of us charging school and school charging you? Just going to charge you directly. It didn't work out really well, and I guess that's because we didn't solve the pain point. And now all studies are equal. If you're studying just for a regular class, I mean, you won't spend the extra time to purchase a software and practice all those questions, right? However. If we had, you know, actually set out to prepare for, for example, GRE or SAT, that would be a different story because you have a much, much higher motivation to work on that. So if I could do everything all over again, I guess that's gonna be the direction I will pursue. Yeah. Nice.、Um, yeah, you mentioned not startup or started equal. You, you guys really need to, you know, target a pain point、um, to really to motivate the customer to purchase. Um, yeah, so I, I guess after Avocado Core,、um, what did you do after? Were you disappointed, or did you,、uh, you know, happen to get on right onto Metaverse? What is there like? What's the starting story for Metaverse? Yeah, so before Metaverse, I spent a year、um, working on a project called Idea Lab. Now it's called Idea Ventures. Feel free to check out this Idea Dot Ventures.、Um, so. It's an entrepreneurship community for immigrants in Canada, and、um, the reason I studied that was because、um, COVID study. I was very bored. No, that's not true.、Uh, it was because, <laughs>、uh, <laughs> yeah, it was because I realized how privileged you need to be to study to start something as immigrant in Canada. For me, I was very lucky.、Um, I was lucky enough to be helped by my mentors. A lot of people helping me on the way. We got accepted into quite a couple accelerators. We got funding. We got grants. It all started just because you know someone opened the door for me. Otherwise, it could be very challenging. And I thought, hey, I'm pretty sure that a lot of other you know wannabe entrepreneurs who are spending a lot of time looking into it but have no way of getting started. So I thought maybe we could do a small community of、um, immigrant entrepreneurs or people who want to be an entrepreneur, you know, and help them to get connected with co-founders, with mentors, and we're hosting workshops. I spent a year working on that, and we had close to two thousand members, and that's actually how I met you, Frank. Yeah,、um, yeah. that gave me a lot of, you know, like gave me a chance to reflect on myself. I got a chance to talk to many different entrepreneurs and investors. I feel like it was a win-win situation for me. I just wanted to be able to talk to smart people, learn from them, and see how I can avoid the mistakes that I made last time, and also met a lot of friends and also help them on their way to become an entrepreneur. Yeah,、uh, one was working at IDH.、Um, I was pretty lucky. I got into Nexity Six.、Um, it's another accelerator program in Toronto.、Um, Frank is also alum, and I was also helping YC China. Um, to do deal sourcing and due diligence in Canada as a partner,、um, because of that, they trust me a lot. I told them, "Hey, I also want to build my own startup now. I made some mistakes, but I'm ready to take another challenge."、Um, they took me in,、uh, gave me my first check, and that's how I started Metaverse. Yeah. Oh, so you went into Next Thirty Six already with an idea. What was the idea back then? I I'm pretty sure it's not what、um, Metaverse is doing right now, is it? Tell me about how the、um, uh, the hypothesis is generated from you. What were you trying to do back then? Right. So, I was working on something called Reynolds.、Um, 
Reynolds was a software to help help intro designers and renovators. You know,、um, essentially、okay. it's a soft soft tool.、Um, one funny thing that we realized while working on the product was a lot of our customers and users were mainly interested in one feature that was 3D visualization. Even though there were already a lot of tools available, you know, on the market, I thought, hey, I mean, I was just gonna add this feature as a bonus. It's not even the cool part of the product. But you guys are so interested in that. Maybe there's something that I can look into. And then I realized,、um, if you are into designers and you want to build 3D visualization, it's actually quite challenging. There's not a great tool and a great platform for you to get 3D models of all the software. And creative visualization itself.、So、even after you have done it, you typically need to spend a lot of time, you know, sending it to someone to render it, and it can be very costly.、Um, so we built a tool that allows you to do everything just on the web. You know, be able to access a huge catalog of different 3D models, drag and drop to create a 3D visualization, and send a link to your customers directly. That's what Go App started in the immersive technology space. And、oh. when we're building that immersive technology, we realized we still have a lot of problems to be solved,、um, mainly with the tech part. So we realized one thing: if you want to have a great experience, you can't just do you know web rendering.、Uh, it can be very challenging. If you want to have a great experience, you need to download those high fidelity 3D models, you know, in real time to your device. And then, typically, your browser will use something like WebGL. Vulkan, WebGPU, those kind of technologies to use your GPU or CPU to do the rendering, but you won't be able to download, you know, three D models very quickly. It can be very large. Even if you can,、um, you can render it in real time. It can be pretty complicated when it comes to rendering on the browser, and that's when I realized, okay, maybe there can be another tool that help people to build those technologies. That's what got us to start Metaverse. And essentially, metaverse, as I mentioned before,、uh, we focus more on cloud rendering. We realized if users can have a great experience,、uh, you won't be able to build the actual metaverse. So what we do is we make content creation, content distribution, and content presentation much much easier by having everything rendered on the cloud. And that means any devices, as long as connected to the internet, can have the same experience. You know, you can just use drag and drop to create. Uh, a movie-like virtual space on the web, and send it to anyone with just a link. We embed it in, on your website with just a couple lines of code, as iframe code. Yeah. Nice.、Um, actually, I have a question.、Um, so you you mentioned you started with renovation, and I've I've talked to many entrepreneurs when they're in universities. The problem they、uh, often find is, you know, whatever they experience, for example, getting things delivered or social media、um, or anything that. As a teenager or a young adult will experience, but how did you start with renovation? I, I guess that's usually typically very far away from a lot of the、uh, young adults. Yeah, I mean it is pretty far away. I still haven't saved in mo- enough money for the down payment yet, so I can definitely <laughs> agree with you. Yeah,、um, it's actually because my parents, you know,、um, so like my whole family, not just my parents, also like my my uncles,、uh, even my grandparents. Working in the space of real estate, and a lot of times they need to deal with like renovations. So that's kind、oh. of what got me interested and in look into that space. Okay, did you did you have like a problem where、um, 
they couldn't really visualize what the renovation will look like afterwards. So that's why you wanted to build um, like a visualization tool to help them to see what it will look like after it renovated. Is that what your uh, initial thought was? There were tools available, but it was very chunky. Uh, it was very chunky. Okay. And so the whole experience wasn't very smooth and it was also very costly. We thought, hey, there's some efficiency problem for us to be solved. And um, to be honest, this space in China is actually a lot more advanced than in Canada. Like in Canada, oh. you typically don't actually get people to do it. Like most people can't even afford rendering. Like if you ask people who have done renovations in Canada, they typically don't get a rendering. Maybe they can get some preset pictures, you know, like the ones you get from brochures while buying furniture, but no one will actually render those experiences for you. So you don't know how it actually looks until you got everything. And I had a couple friends working as builders. They told me something very funny. Uh, because rendering can be very, you know, um, I guess, like it's pretty serious. Like it's very time consuming and it's very expensive. So a lot of them actually decided to build a showroom instead of rendering. And then they would tear the showroom down after that. I mean, having a showroom is definitely great, but for some people who don't have, have that kind of budget, maybe we can make it easier for them. Hmm. Nice. And and when you just started, were you a developer? Because um, I, I would imagine doing a 3D modeling and even doing the rendering requires a lot of, a lot of technical knowledge. So um, you know, how, how did you approach the technical problem when you just started? Yeah, um, I'm a developer myself, even though right now I focus a lot more on sales and partnership and business development. Um, previously, I worked at Biden's, you know, parent firm of TikTok uh, to help them to launch a new app, um, a reading app actually in China. And I learned a lot from YouTube. Yeah. And to be honest, like <laughs> getting education from university is great, but you don't get as much as you can on YouTube. So yeah, it's just a lot of time talking to other people who have done that, ask, asking for the like recommendation, what kind of tech stack I should use, and it's a lot of time on Udemy and YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, I actually people for creating content on YouTube. Yeah, you guys saved yeah. my time so many, so many times. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I I guess you should create like a library of which YouTube video you watched to do certain things, and that would be helpful for whoever want to learn. Um, but yeah. Um, I actually this this is the um, a story that I heard from our private conversation. You told me um, you find your way to recruit your technical co-founder, um, and I thought that was very interesting. So, yeah, I, I would want you to share that story again. How you get your technical co-founder, and, and how do you really persist on getting him in? Yeah. Recruiting is definitely more challenging. Um, I'll tell you, a lot of people think, hey, if I can get fundraising done, problems solved. No, it's not the case. It's problem just got started here. Um, fundraising is actually relatively easier compared to getting a first technical hire, especially if you want a great one. Because if you're asking money from investor, especially the institutional investors, it's not like they're making all their bets on you. For pre-seed stage, and each institution usually will make at least like 20-ish. And for larger ones, it can be even hundreds of bets on different startups. They get the chance and they can afford to make mistakes. However, when it comes to recruiting a first technical hire, if you are not technical, it can be challenging. That means someone mm -hmm. needs to quit the well-paid job 
and take right. a lower salary with you with a lot less job security and a lot more overtime. It can be challenging because they only get to bed once every couple of years, and it can be pretty challenging. Yeah, so we spend a lot of time trying to get our CTO. To be honest,、uh, we have a great technical co-founder right now.、Um, his name is Matt. This is great. Yeah, he has experiences of building Series B startups in China, and he graduated from Waterloo,、um, built his first startup, I think, in his final year at university. Yeah, he was studying computer science. And his co-founder happened to be my friend. Yeah, he was building something like Metaverse eight、okay. years ago, and apparently it didn't work out because it was kind of too early. And then he went back to China to build another one. It worked out pretty well. But yeah, so、uh, I also like it because you know happened to have a close friend whose co-founder worked with him eight years ago to solve the same problem. And now that the timing is a lot better, was. More demand. You can see a lot more people being educated about the potential of immersive technology and metaverse, and the technology is also a lot better. Problems that we couldn't solve in the past can now be solved partially through cloud computing, especially cloud rendering with cloud GPU, and that's what helped me to convince my co-founder, you know, to join. Yeah,、um, but getting other technical hires was also very challenging. Was one guy, yeah, Stephen.、Uh, Stephen was. Stephen actually built his own startup and got like he had like how much was that like a hundred million AR、uh, Chinese yen though、uh, in China. Oh my was, god, that's insane, man! Yeah, he was invested、that's、by Alibaba Family Office.、Uh, yeah, like it was pretty、wow. huge, one of the largest、um, streaming service for TV in the southern part of China. Yeah, he he kind of retired and moved back to、um, Toronto. Yeah, and. It can be challenging to convince people like that to work with you, right? I think about that, like they've experienced all. Even though you raise money, it's like small, small, tiny, like fraction of what they have done in the past.、Um, it took me four months to convince Stephen to help us. It was just a lot of catch-up call, a lot of messaging, and I didn't have a car, so I took bus all the way from Mississauga to Markham. It's a long ride. It was like two and. Yeah, two and a half hours, and like one way, and if you like one way, four to five hours. Yeah, four to five hours. I will literally spend the time to just invite him for dinner and talk to him, tell him what prog- progress we made. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and like you need to be pretty scrappy when it comes to recruiting. Yeah. Um. I also spend a lot of time on forums. Um. You know, online. Oh, okay. Can be hard if you're just posting a job description online. A lot of people competing for those talents. I spend a lot of time talking about the technology, discussing its potential on on different forums, and that's actually what got me my third hire. So that's it. Yeah. Okay. So you, that, you started with yeah. So recruiting was easier for us. I, I guess you spent four months on finding a talent.、Um, It's quite a long time for a startup.、Um, why didn't you? We, we sort had of... talent.、Yeah. We already had people who are helping okay. us.、Uh, we need、okay. the expert, you know, to help us to solve that roadblock. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and and you targeted that person specifically. You think that can help you guys? Yep. 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 Like we, we、okay. already had a team back then. We had our co-founder working on that. We、nice. had a couple interns. To help us, you know, and、nice. yeah, I was just well, looking for a specific person. Yeah, wow, that that's crazy, man! Like, 
um, as a 23 years old, same age as you, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about you're able to convince someone that's so much more experienced than you or um, just had a lot of experience in the industry to even join the team and, and like a kudos to for your persistence and the way that you can uh, convince them. I think that's something that um, every entrepreneur is, especially if they're first time founded a startup, they should learn about because I think talent is really everything. Once you have the talent done, everything is just execution. So, you know, like I'm really happy that you're able to get the talents. Um, but I want to shift gear um, of our conversation a little bit. Um, I remember it was in 2020 or 2021. Um, the word metaverse was all over the place, all over internet. Um, I, I think that's partially because Mark Zuckerberg devoted his entire energy in terms of building the metaverse for Facebook um, meta right now. And I guess you already started building once before the meta, the metaverse word got out there so much. So once that got so popular, did anything change for your company, your perspective? And, you know, tell, tell me what was your uh, reaction at the time? Yeah, uh, just one quick comment before I get into this question. I think yeah. regarding other talents, I really appreciate all my team members. They're being yeah. through ups and downs with me, and they trust me so much. It wasn't yeah. because how hard I worked to convince them, it was because how lucky I am. So I really appreciate everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> no question. Yeah, no question. Metaverse. Metaverse actually wasn't brought up by, um, yeah, by Meta. It was actually first Roblox. Before Roblox, there were kind of some discussion online, you know. Um, we had a lot of people, like Matthew Ball, yeah, starting with Matthew Ball. A lot of people were discussing about Metaverse around April-ish, actually starting from March. We could see some people discussing that. And there were people also talking about Web3. Web3 wasn't defined yet. At the beginning, Web3 meant a spatial web. Some people also thought Web3 means a semantic web. Spatial web, so like 3D internet. Uh, semantic web, AI-powered internet. We didn't expect Web3 to be taken, hijacked by crypto and became a decentralized internet. But that's another <laughs> interesting story that we will not be discussing today. Yeah. So um, it started way before Meta. And when Roblox went public, if you go to you know, the paper, uh, like the stock paper, you can see they're already discussing about Metaverse. They're trying to sell people the potential of what they, like, they can become in the future, you know, creating a Metaverse. It's so much fancier, right? Stock price must be higher, right? Like it's yeah. a strategy capitalists can use to get people hyped up and put more money money into it, uh, like for the IPO. But it got a lot of people to start thinking about it. Hey, maybe we're get, actually getting pretty close. And then, yeah, Facebook changed its name to Meta. Definitely helped me a lot. I remember I was going to a trade show. I was literally on my way um, of driving from... I rented a car. I was driving from Mississauga to Ottawa for a trade show. And I was at a Starbucks. Um, yeah, I was at a Starbucks at Unroot, like um, grab, grabbing yeah. coffees. Yeah. And yeah, like I saw the news. I got pretty surprised. I didn't expect it to be such a huge news for us. But right after that, it became so much easier to do lead generation. Because prior to that, like you need to talk to your clients, tell them, hey, why this technology can be very impactful. Uh, why, you know, you, you need to look into it, why you need to spend money for it, why we can help you to solve our problems. And after Meta changed the name, I think it got so much easier for us to do outreach. Uh, if you message someone, because, for example, on, on LinkedIn, you can only send, like, 140 characters. 
But if that person is already very interested in the concept of metaverse, and you happen to be a startup that's been working on it for a long time, even before the name got popular, people want to talk to you. We also got a lot of inbound leads because we we're doing a lot of counter marketing. We're writing a lot mm. on LinkedIn, on Medium, to tell people how we're helping them to change those technologies, and it helps us a lot. However, like I think now is even a better time.、Um, I could clearly feel the difference in the past year. For example, last September, you need to talk to someone a long time, get a warm referral to be able to schedule a demo call to them, and typically people don't have enough patience. But starting from wrong. October, actually November-ish, a lot of CPG brands, ah,、uh, luxury fashion CPG, were starting to look into it. One huge difference is they already had a team looking into it, so that's、mm. a really big change. You know, having、mm. someone dedicated to looking um for a vendor for that means a lot because you have a point of contact. You can find someone to be the initiator. You know, someone to push the deal from inside. And now it's actually even better because. They're getting a lot more educated by the market, but a lot of different case studies, you know, available to them. They have a budget. If you have ever done B two B sales, you you know it means a lot because having a point of sale, you know, having initiator is great. And if they already have a budget, you don't need to convince them to create a budget for you. You just need to convince them you are the right fit for the problem. It becomes so much easier. Yeah, and I think that's how the market change and how it help us. And again, I don't think it's because I'm very vision, like have a mission. It's just because I'm lucky. Yeah, it comes so much to luck. Yeah, that that's crazy. And and why do you think at the time that a lot of the CPG brand want to be involved in this space? And you know, maybe tell me about what was their um uh, uh like motivation behind it, and how did you guys help them? Yeah. So. Um, before answer the question, I think maybe I could give you a quick、um, comment on our sales strategy.、Uh, you know,、sure. while we're doing a demo call, what we are trying to send a material to someone,、mm-hmm. we try the best we can to include the following component. Number one, sell them the potential of this. You know, describe something vague but huge. Typically, when we're selling B two B, you you don't want to use that strategy. But for us, it worked pretty well because not a lot of people were. You know, actually understanding actual meaning of metaverse, people are a little bit confused. If you start a little bit higher, you can get them interested. But what's more important is,、um, okay. So the second part will also tell them why this can help you increase the revenue, engage your customers, help you even in some cases save your costs. But the most important piece is FOMO. FOMO is FOMO. so important. Yeah, <clears throat> if you're doing fundraising, FOMO is like. Key to everything, you know.、Um, yeah. Especially if you don't have a good traction. If you don't have a solid traction, focus on creating formals. Yeah, formals work up really well. We're lucky to be able to work with a top tier luxury brand. We help them to do a little bit consulting, help them to launch a proof of concept project, and、um, that help us a lot.、Um, so we were able to create that sense of urgency with a lot of customers. And to be honest. Right now, I think they know the problem a lot better. They also know the solutions a lot better. But back then, they were just you know kind of scared. Hey,、FOMO. I don't want to be left、yeah. behind. They have the FOMO, fear of missing out. That's what helped me a lot. You know, last year, yeah.、Um, so creating a sense of FOMO was great. And our strategy was, hey, when when we intentionally you know instill that kind of FOMO into their minds, 
or like, hey, well, I'll help help you. Even though we're a tech vendor, even though we build our own technology, but we also work as a consultant. I'll help you on the way. It doesn't matter what you buy from us or someone else. I'll help you no matter what. If you have questions, send it to me. If you want, like, if you want to build like a proposal internally, if you want to build on strategies, I'll be happy to be an advisor to help you to do it. Um, it's a step in the door strategy, you know. Before selling to them, we become their partner and consultant to help them understand the problem better. Even though we tell them, hey, like, you don't have to buy from us. We intentionally try to change the mind subconsciously, so it does help a little bit. Yeah,、uh, it, it sounds the, bad, but I'm helping.、Uh, yeah, don't judge me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think with every new technology, especially like、um, the the whole concept of of metaverse, I think education is is I think the most important thing. You're helping them to understand how adopting your technology can really help、um, the growth of their brand, and I guess.、Um, What was the problem that you were helping those CPGs company solve? And if you can give an example, yeah, for sure. So, so definitely were some tangible problems, but tangible problems didn't help us to push the sales as much as another piece of formal that I can introduce、mm. later. Yeah,、mm. tangible problems like, for example, it was during pandemic, right? People were not able to, um, like browse in a shop to you know try the product themselves. So being able to explain the product virtually is very important. And number two,、um, if you don't go into the store, a lot of people really enjoy going into the store, be- also because of kind of interaction you can get from them. You know, it's very different from just seeing a product as a picture on a catalog on the website, versus going to actual mall. You know, see the whole design,、um, get the greeting. You know, from the associate and try the product yourself. It's very different. They're looking for the kind of engagement. Uh, they want to have the same level of engagement online. Yeah. Number three, even for some places, you know, where malls already open,、um, there were a lot of logistics problems, especially with inventory management.、Uh, not for fashion, but more for furnishing. Yeah.、Uh, back then, even now, we still haven't recovered from the supply chain issues yet. I'm pretty sure you're aware of that. So, if you could allow people to experience the product first, and then you just order it, get it shipped to you, you don't have to prepare a lot of inventory. So those were some tangible problems that we solve, and we help them to pinpoint in separate industries. But what worked really well was another piece of formal.、Um, it was、um, speak to Gen Z. If you do a research, you can see a lot of, especially luxury brands in the past year, change the branding a lot, change it completely because they don't want to be feel like, hey, this is for like for my aunt, right? This is for Gen Z. Gen Z is very important. If you do Gen Z, you Get the leverage to work with a lot of partners, and for us, we thought, "Hey, what if we can play a role in this?" We tell them how important metaverse will be important for Gen Z, and how you know they could be felt differently if they don't offer those experiences, while other brands do. Yeah, so that's what helps us in the sales process. Nice.、Um, and where do you think、um, this specifically is going for the CPG brands in the future?、Um, how, how like integrated do you think? Uh, the metaverse can be with a real life product, like buying、yeah. offline. What what do you imagine it's going to be like in the future, like the integrations? Yeah, so I think we're still very far away、um, from getting close to like ad- like actual metaverse.、Uh, when we started metaverse, we called ourselves、um, the metaverse, like the Shopify for metaverse. 
you know, Shopify is also from Canada. We like them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. Shopify is doing this. You're doing great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we visited a lot of stuff. We told them this could be changed completely. First of all, we're still kind of far away from that at the moment. Most brands don't even have 3D models for the product yet. It's the first step of digitization. If you haven't done that yet, it can be challenging. We can get back to that later. But we envision was it's not just a way of changing how customers you know interact. So we had different like we had three components in the Shopify for Metaverse sales mm. pitch: is product, store, and customers. Yeah. Uh, so like people, product, environments. Yeah. Let's get onto each of that. Uh, kind of technologies we're trying to introduce was one for product you should be able to see a product from anywhere on any devices at any time it's a store that never closes and the experience is except for you can't touch it everything else should be the same we actually have a partner company who is working on the touch component to allow you to feel the touch yeah Uh, also invested by uh, yc china but yeah so that's product wise and um it also plays a very important role if you want to do customization. Because mm. at the moment, you can do a lot of customization. Right now, the supply chain is still made in the way that it produces a lot of product, you know, in advance and yeah. ship it to all the, you know, like stores and you just purchase from them. But you can't predict the demand, right? It can be challenging. Right. And people right. won't be able to customize a lot of stuff. Right now, we're trying to have different kind of supply chains and for some for some niche areas, being able to customize will mean a lot. And if you can do it online, it can be a really important driver for growth. Yeah. And when it comes to people, we don't want people to feel lonely. If you want to shop alone, you want to shop for efficiency, great, you can just go here and do it. But if you want to go on a shopping date, I can send Frank a link. Hey, buddy, do you want to go to scroll on with me? Even though right now um, I'm in China, we can still hang out virtually in the mall and see each other, talk to each other. We can do shopping together. And if the technology allows uh, for us, we could do it in certain cases. You should be able to try on the product with your avatar. You should mm-hmm. also be able to customize the avatar to reflect your actual body shape and body type. Yeah. So those were kind of small things we were experimenting. And with environment, we think it would be very important to have a tailored environment for each person, especially if you're shopping alone. Uh, what we envisioned was, you should have a mall dedicated to you. I'm pretty sure you have the same experience. If you go to a mall, you have yeah. different stores. Yeah. A lot of them, of yeah. course, you, you are not interested. We want yeah. to have a mall customized for each like individual. You know, have yeah. those stores you know, ranked out for you. And nice. even within the store, the design should be appealing to your taste with product you will like. It will be a lot more engaging, right? So those were kind of things we were envisioning. There are a lot of other potentials that we can do, for example, with the analytics. Um, you know, for retail, um, the competitive is determined by mainly three things. Supply chain and use of data. But the use mm. of data can help them to actually improve both branding and supply chain. And people are collecting so much data from retail. But if you can do a virtual shopping mall, uh, like the one we tried to do, you will be able to actually get the data of where people are standing at, what they're looking at, how long they're looking at it for, like, you know, how long they're looking at it and what they have done afterwards. There's a lot of data that just waiting to be captured. However, yeah. with that... I, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead. You, you continue. You continue. Yeah. With, with that being said, it's still kind of far away um, for us. Still, many pieces of paths are still, you know, missing. 
we are still waiting for a lot more startups and incumbents to develop those technologies. But that's kind of what we believe will happen in the next 10 years. However, first step, nice. um, yeah, like you can sell a big picture and actually work towards that, but you need to solve a tangible problem for now. And for now, a lot of brands still need to sell with um, 3D models of their product. Yeah, there are also a lot of interesting pieces of technology that are being developed for that. We're having, you know, we're having a lot more marketplaces doing that. Uh, so just send mm. a picture online. Someone will take the order and do it for you and get 3D model to you. Uh, we're having food, like, um, we're also having a lot of technologies like um, um, you, you can do scanning, right? You can very easily use around 50 pictures to get a 3D model, even though it can still right. be a little bit chunky, but we're getting there. Right. And AIGC, AIGC is what we have been waiting for the most. Without AIGC, I don't think we can get the metaverse. Because asset creation is very expensive. If you talk to anyone who is developing games, a lot of the budget is spent on the gaming assets, specifically the design, 3D model, the animation. With AIGC, if we can solve the cost problem, we can see this getting closer to us, like to us much, much more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm very happy that to hear you talking about the second point, which is the supply chain and, and predicting and selling the product before and getting the data. I think, um, I'm not sure if you know the company Shane, but what they're doing right now, they're AI generating the product before it's being even manufactured and they're collecting the data beforehand after they're selling it. And one of the advantages that they had is that because AI generate those um, styles, they can have upload thousands of styles every single day and essentially let the computer de uh, to determine what people really want. And I think that already exists in the real life, in the e-commerce space. And I, I wonder whether that will be like a great collaboration or partnership if Shane, such a huge scale e-commerce brand will adopt metaverse technology and, and make it even better. Yeah, um, I think all of the brands we're talking about will include that technology. So omni-channel sales, it used to be oh. such a word so fancy, right? But now it just yeah. means adding both online and physically, and you can potentially yeah. also do ads on newspaper. Now when you hear about it, it's so boring, right? But it used to be a fancy word. And in the yeah. future, omni-channel sales will also include setting in the metaverse. Yeah, because um, what we believe is another thing. Uh, we're also working with a lot of crypto companies to help them to create their own branded metaverse. Mm. One thing I want to emphasize is the importance of community. If you do CPG, you must have heard a thousand true fans. Right. So if you can have a thousand true fans who really support you no matter what you do, you will be able to survive whatever you do and you can do it really well. Um, it plays an even bigger role now that we're having Web3, a component, you know, the component that focuses a lot more on user-only economy, um, on shared ownership, uh, shared contribution. It will also apply to brands. Um, imagine if you could create a community who really vouch for you, who are willing to serve as a brand ambassador, who are happy to give you feedback on a new, um, I guess, experimentation you're doing, who can help you to determine how to do marketing. Having that community will be important and we believe in the future, a couple of things we're hoping to see, use of immersive technologies and creating communities online and creating community ownership. Those are things we're hoping to see and those will also help us to bring everything into the metaverse. Yeah. Nice. Talking about Web3 and crypto, um, I, I think this is another hot word, um, especially in the past year or so. 
And I, I want to know um, when was the time that you first heard of it, and why do you think that was relevant for metaverse, especially at the time? And um, can you tell the story of when is the moment that clicked? You decided to go, okay, Web three is the way. I need to, I need to get on it. Yeah. So for us, for me, um, yeah, I for heard you. about, I heard about crypto um, when it was when was that like twenty eighteen ish. Yeah. Um, I was a poor rock kid, uh, very bored with everything. Couldn't find an internship. I mean, I had an internship, but I was very bored. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I was going to a lot of hackathons for the free food and specs. You know, a lot of free food. <laughs> Before pandemic, food was really great. Yeah, uh, I was going to a lot of with my sleeping bag. So I just bumped into people building V apps and telling me, hey, this is going to be the future of everything. And I was like, hey, I'll give it a try. Um, they show me how you can develop a decentralized app on Ethereum and with a like, library, a lot of cool technologies that I could use. I thought, hey, I'll try it. Um, I built my first app, realized how chunky it was. It was very slow. It was very buggy, like a lot of bugs. You, you, you can't do much of stuff with it. So I said, hey, this is just bullshit. I'm not going to do it. So I missed my first bull market, 2018. Yeah. 2018. Um, wow. Yeah, 20, actually, like, I heard of it even a lot more before that. But back then, it wasn't crypto. It wasn't Web3. It was only crypto. Yeah, I was, was working on my first summer camp project. Um, we had people who were, like trying to tell me, "Hey, this is cool. We should teach kids about blockchain." I was like, "Nah, it's just old and like it's just new but slow, and efficient database. I won't do it." But, like, hey, if you give me five hundred dollars, I'll help you set up a mining rig just with your own laptop. It was like a long, long, long time ago when you could still mine uh, with uh, your laptop. Um, I said no, five hundred dollars. Um, anyways, I think I just wasn't meant to get rich, you know, still need to work on something a little bit longer. Uh, but 2018, I missed it. A lot of people are talking about that. Last year, some of our clients were like, uh, we really want crypto. Do you also do crypto? I was like, no, we don't. We only do immersive technologies. Um, we started working with some gaming company. Like, hey, we only work with on-chain open metaverse. Like, hey, we're just not using that database. Where should we do it? Um, I didn't learn enough about the space. So, cause I thought, hey, I spent so much time building the app. I thought I knew it, but I didn't. So many things changed in the past couple of years. And oh. I started looking into it again, beginning of the year, realized how impactful it can be uh, with decentralized ownership. It can completely change the way we're building startups in the future. I don't think crypto will just be a category in the future. It will be a default choice for a lot of people. Going to crypto will just be like, I'm just going to incorporate today. Like, it's the same way. Um, I think it's going to change so many things. And what I believe the most is platform. It's also something people stress a lot in crypto. A lot of platforms, when they start up, like, they get investment from venture capital in exchange for equity. They use money to get more users. They build the ecosystem. And then they become value extracting. They don't focus so much about users who help them create the platform. They extract value from them to pay back the you know the money they got from venture capital. It's fair because they got the money. But what if you could instead of raising so much money from venture capital, you could, you know, tokenize young equity, tokenize ownership of a platform and use some tokens to incentivize people for certain behavior. For example, what if Uber could send stocks, you know, but instead of stock tokens, yeah, to drivers who are helping them in the early stage. I think that would be a much better way to align interest 
um, between different parties in the ecosystem. Also, a lot of other very convincing arguments that I've learned, and that's what got us to pivot into this. Yeah. So right now, working with both um, on-chain clients and also off-chain clients. Yeah. Okay. Is there like a, a moment where it just clicked for you that you decided to, to make the pivot to, to just go all in in Web3? Did someone tell you some certain story or like is a gradual process for you? Yeah. So as I mentioned, we had a lot of clients who are asking us to do a consulting project, but we didn't close many deals. We only closed oh. a couple of them. Um, okay. What's very interesting was I realized other clients that I talked to, even though really liked my argument, we're choosing to work with an on-chain partner instead of us. Ah, okay. We're also really buying into the decentralized, you know, like component. Okay. Um, yeah, like feedback from the market led me to look more into it and convinced <laughs> me to bring the team here. Yeah. Nice. And, and tell me a little bit more about how um, crypto blockchain decentralized apps intersect with a um, virtual metaverse. How? What is the complement there, and why is it necessary? that these two technology collide? Yeah, I don't think metaverse and crypto are necessarily related. We just made it that mm. way. Um, okay. Metaverse focus a lot more on the immersive technology part, even though Matthew mm. Ball, like on Matthew Ball's article, like you can see all those components. But Roblox is the first huge, like big skill metaverse project that we're seeing. Um, it's not on-chain at all. Even though a lot of people are trying to make it on-chain, creating some sub-project, but it's not on chain. And so they're not necessarily related. However, a couple of reasons why they're used so interchangeably right now. Uh, number one, uh, it's actually a very unique use case, um, especially in Asia, for example, in China. Crypto is actually banned. Uh, you can't mm. have crypto. You can have blockchain, but you can't have crypto. Right. It's like having someone without the source. Yeah, but anyways, so people had to use metaverse um, to replace crypto when they want to talk about crypto. Yeah. Uh, it's a very unique case, but in, in most cases, they're related because one, when you have a new piece of technology, you typically won't be able to compete with existing technology, even though how much more advanced you can be. For example, auto automobiles. When you first have motors, like when you have cars, you can't compete with horses. They're also very competitive. They literally fight you to death and you, you can't compete for the market. You really want to find something new to start, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, what we call disruptive innovation, right? Start with a niche use case that's ignored or abandoned by the incumbent. And for crypto, one thing is, if they want to change, for example, tokenization of everything is something they said for the past couple of years, but it can be challenging when it comes to using tokens to replace our real estate system. Using tokens to replace our stock system, it can be very challenging. But if you're competing in a new space, like Metaverse, everything's new, the infra isn't built yet, you have a fair chance of beating the incumbent. Yeah. Another thing is, uh, crypto is, uh, essentially, especially the use of NFT, it's actually very, very important because it's the first time you can truly own something on the internet. It's right. for the first time. For yeah. example, like I can take a picture and send it to you, Frank. When you have the picture, you have it. There's no way you can prove the ownership. Maybe you can, you know, get IP patented, you know, with government, but no one can actually prove you own that piece of file or asset on the internet. But with NFT, it's the first time you can actually own it. And selling product virtually is great because, you know, you can get people to experience this product, especially with CPG and fashion luxury, right? But what if you can sell something that's 
purely virtual. You don't even to manufacture it, just design it and provide yeah. a bad experience, right? Yeah. Isn't that very sound argument for brands? Yeah. It's a very appealing, right? So yeah, like NFT also allow you to do it. And I think those are the reasons why I've seen the intersection between metaverse and crypto. Yeah. Hope it makes sense. Nice. Yeah, it, it does. Actually, like having a virtual platform, you can actually own it. Um, I think a lot of the company is already combining the both. Um, like Nike just um, acquired a, a crypto company to sell their sneakers online. Um, I think that's very interesting. But um, I, I always had a, a question that, you know, these are very new technologies. And especially if you combine them together. And I think right now one of the biggest problem is there's not enough adoption. Um, maybe there's only a fraction of people in the world uh, who know about what is Web3 or Metaverse. Um, so what do you think that people like you can do to onboard more people into the space and, and to get to understand what really what Metaverse and Web3 really means and, and let them experience um, the the new economy? Yeah, 100% agree with you. Uh, there's, there's a couple pieces of Puzzles that are missing. Number one, infra. Infra isn't ready yet. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are working really hard while getting close. But for example, with Metaverse, um, as I mentioned, it was my phone. I lost it. But pretending this is my phone. Most people don't have a phone that's capable of rendering high-fidelity 3D content in real time. Think about it. If you, if you ever play games or you have friends who play games, you see they have a dedicated gaming laptop with a professional, like with dedicated GPUs that are very pricey and a professional cooling system. Imagine you need to actually carry around for those experiences. I don't think it's quite possible. It's also the like the reason why we look into cloud rendering because we think that's going to be the way to build the future. And with crypto, infra still isn't there yet. Gas fee is getting a lot lower right now. And um, yeah, gas fee is getting a lot lower. And um, you can also do things at much, much cheaper price on layer two chains. But for a normal transaction to go through, um, for example, on Ethereum, you need to spend a couple bucks. Imagine you need to spend so much money for each transaction you do online, you know? Right. Um, most people don't like it. And the process of doing it is also quite challenging. We still need a lot more education. Um, setting up a wallet and actually protecting your own asset can be challenging. Most people still don't understand the way you set up wallets, right? It's like, trust me, when we just had Facebook, setting up a Facebook account was also very challenging. It was one of the mm -hmm. reasons why people didn't use it. Even before that, having an email address was challenging. Or even, remember when you need to actually like set, like, need to set up and use your account to log into the internet? Yeah. It was also very challenging. Those were all different things that stopped people from doing it. So we're missing two pieces. One is better infra. N number two is we also need a lot more education, awareness. Education. Um, let's use one example. There are, so at peak, there were 68 million um, wallet active, like wallet addresses um, on the blockchain, on different chains, on all chains, like top chain chains. And um, at best, there'll be 6 million actual users across 10 different chains. Sorry, yeah, 6 million. 6 million users isn't a lot, right? Like, it isn't a lot. Even Canada, we consider, like, a very small market. We have 35 million, like, people. And 6 million... Facebook has 3 billion users compared to 3 yeah. million. Yeah. That, that's, like, yeah. 6 million is so small, right? Yeah. And yeah. even for the 6 million, a lot of them are not, like, actual users. 
people were just a lot of people are just you know in the space as a speculator, uh, making bet on different stuff. They will have uh, many different accounts to farm airdrops because you know we promote shared ownership. That they're there to win the ownership. They do it professionally, so we are still kind of far away from the adoption of crypto, and it can be a huge problem. It's kind of like egg chicken egg problem. You need great content to attract people to come here. The people won't just come here because it's the future. People come here because right. you typically have a great content. For example,、mm. think about the adoption of mobile phone, which、yeah. is a couple of games that got people really hyped up for it. Right into great apps, great content. But to build great content, you also need great infra and enough <laughs> user base. Otherwise, it's、yeah. not worth it to put the resources、yeah. into it. So、okay. we're still waiting for it to happen. Hopefully, it will happen in the next bull market, and I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Well, when the, when do you think this is gonna reach mass adoption? And、um, is there like any magical pro- product or or software that you think is gonna appear to change the game? Um, so a lot of people were making the bet on. So a lot of people making a bet on two things specifically.、Um, yeah.、Uh, one is GameFi,、uh, GameFi, which is going a little bit、um, away from the direction we're hoping it to go. But a lot of people are still working really hard. We're also working really hard on that. So GameFi, because you know how game, how fast to game to mobile. Maybe you could do the、uh, same in this new era, right? Right.、Um, also SocialFi, social network is really important reason why to join a platform. Exactly.、Right? Because yeah, our friends are there. You want to go there? Those are two very strong arguments. Another thing will be DAOs. Um, it sounds silly, but I'm actually a huge, huge believer in DAOs. Um,、mm. okay, so. A lot of stuff that we're taking for granted is actually very like isn't very new. Like sorry, yeah, it's isn't very old. It's pretty new. For example, incorporation, forming a business that can be considered as like a real person, a separate entity, is unbelievable. You know, in like in old history, imagine you say, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna start a business. The business separate from me, even though I own it. If it goes bankrupt, it doesn't affect me at all.、Yeah. If you do it, like." For example, five hundred years ago in China, people think you're just telling a joke, but it、yeah. did happen. You know, when it came to like a lot of people set up, you know, like the、um, that kind of system to, you know, help them to get the funding to explore overseas. For example, that's actually how they discovered North America, right? Yeah, corporation is one of the the most prevalent、yeah. innovation in the recent history. If you like, you don't think corporation is a innovation, but it actually is. It changed a it lot、is. of、it、how、yeah. you know a company run right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge part. It happened because we had the demand. We need a way to protect us to explore, you know, new opportunities. So, incorporation is a way for us to get a symmetrical returns. We put. A fixed set of resources into it. If we lose it, we at like at worst lose outfit, but it doesn't affect us at all. But if it actually works, we have exponential returns, and it was viable because the government were providing all the infrastructure to allow you to set it up, to allow you to trade the ownership,、uh, to protect owners. And now we're seeing, you know, crypto and blockchain serving as the the role of government four hundred years ago. To help people to do it, and I think that will have a pretty big chance in the future. It will also be a default, you know. It will be a default choice when you want to build something. Yeah. For example, with open source project, so many different open source project right now. We can see a lot of lawsuits between open source project and cloud computing platforms because、oh. open source project can capture the value they're creating, right? 
other yeah. companies simply taking it for use. But imagine if you could create a DAO, a decentralized you know organization, being owned by all the contributors who are writing the code for it. If you write, if you do a PR like a pull request, you get a credit, you get a token, or you get a piece of NFT that proves ownership. You will be able to claim a piece of revenue generated from the open source project, and you also will be able to have a say in where you should go next just by voting voting on chain with your tokens. Like it could mean a lot. For example, you can look into this TEA.xyz. Uh, I think it's founded by the um, founder of uh, of Brew, yeah, Homebrew, yeah. Like it's pretty cool. There's a lot of very interesting project being developed for that. We also have DSI, for example, like decentralized science. You know, mm. if people could like collaborate uh, remotely to develop new science, new technologies, it would be very cool, right? We also have a lot of other cool features. For example, like um, we can have decentralized reputation and a lot of innovations are being built and I hope to see them explored in the next bull market. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay, fi- final two questions. Thank you, Sam, for the insight for sharing. Um, so if you were to encourage the younger generation to start a business, um, which direction or which industry do you hope them to focus um, their insight on? And also, what would be your advice on starting you know, their first company? Yep. So for the first one, uh, what you should do if you're just setting up, I will say... Don't worry too much about making the best choice because you won't be able to make the right choice. You won't know which one is the right answer. Also, just get started, you know, get on the journey, explore on the way. If you have to, like, figure out where you want to focus, find something you're passionate about because you'll get so many setbacks. A lot of people reject you. If you don't have hundreds of rejections or thousands of rejections, you haven't started yet. So be prepared for that. Uh, Make sure to choose something you're truly passionate about. So you can actually, you know, have a grit to stay in the game. Yeah. So just get started with something you're really interesting. Yeah. And number two is, um, be ready. It, it won't be an easy journey. Like you see so many stories of people building successful startups. You know, if you're like, hey, if I work hard, I'll also be able to get that. It's not always the case. Like Frank and I have a lot of experiences failing. Um, I'm still broke. I quit my soft engineer job quit my consulting job, working on this. Even though we have a pretty big team, uh, not so big, but we have more than 10 people. Uh, and, you know, like make sure to provide for them. Um, I make so much, so much less. Like I make less money than my interns. Uh, like it's actually true. Um, I had to live in the basement of my in-law and a lot of stuff into like, like I give up my car, a lot of stuff into give up. Um, be ready for that. Um, but it will be fun. Yeah, trust me, it will be a fun process. And sorry, what was the last question? Um, yeah, like which, like which industry or direction that you wish to see more company of, and like those are those one that you re- would recommend them to study more or go after. Right, I think we answered that question. So make sure to find something you're actually interested about. Yeah. If you don't know what you're interested about, try to compete in a new space. You might feel like, hey, this okay. is too new, this is challenging for me. But as someone who's just a fresh graduate, you know, to be honest, you don't have any resources. You don't have enough connections. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough experiences. Competing at a new game will be so much easier. Imagine, for example, like, mm. um, like for example, was shooting game. If you if you want to pro- like play a game professionally, compete with people who play that game for like ten years, fifteen years, there's a very little chance that you can compete with them. 
if there's a new game that's being released and you actually like it, you think it will go big, getting early, you know, getting early will mean even the market isn't very developed yet. There's still a lot, lot of problems, but you're early. You have a chance of competing with other existing players. So, you know, you don't have to worry about um, lack of connections, experiences, and expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Um, you know, like you said, entrepreneurship is not early. Uh, it's not easy. And Sean, I know you've been through so much hardship and, um, you know, so many different iterations, failing and getting up and starting again. Um, and appreciate you telling, uh, you know, the younger generations on um, finding your passion, what you really are passionate about, go for that. And um, maybe pick industry that's new, that's not as competitive if people is building in 10, 15 years. Um, yeah, thank you so much for the conversation, Sean. It's super insightful. And, and I genuinely learn a lot from your perspective and the way that you see the world is going. Yeah, thanks so much, Frank. Again, thanks so much for having me. Um, I mean, we're also building something together. We hope to be able to see more entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. there's something you're interested, yeah, message Frank or message me, and I'll talk to you another time. Yeah. And yeah, for those of you who are with me, yeah, I'm just getting started. I'm pretty sure you are also, a lot of you guys are also just getting started. Yeah. Uh, enjoy the process. Yeah. It'll be tough. It'll also be fun and help each other. Yeah. Enjoy the process. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ideas Can Wait Podcast. If you have taken something away from this episode and really enjoyed our conversation, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review on wherever you're listening or watching. It will help this podcast to reach more like-minded people like you. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next one.